Today on Let's Talk Limbic Sparks, we're with Michelle Holmes, VP of Marketing at the AT&T Performing Arts Center, a nonprofit in Dallas, Texas. I'm Kevin Perlmutter, Chief Strategist and founder of Limbic Brand Evolution, a brand consultancy that taps into emotional insights and applies behavioral science to strengthen connections between brands and people. And I'm co-host Jasmine Moradi, behavioral sound scientist passionate about quantifying how sound impact customers' emotion and brand perception. The limbic system part of our brain supports emotion, motivation, behavior, and memory. Jasmine and I love to talk with brand leaders who appreciate how these subconscious functions impact conscious human behavior. We're curious about how our guests are creating what I call limbic sparks which happen when emotional motivation meets brand desire. We want to know what makes our guests tick and how they're applying emotional insights to drive business growth for the brands that they serve. Thank you, my good friend, Michelle, for being with us today. And let's talk Limbic Sparks. Glad to be here. Good morning. <laughs> good morning and nice to meet you, Michelle. Well. I know it's been a rough couple of weeks in Dallas. How are you doing today? doing great we were lucky enough to be spared any major damage from snowbid as they're calling it <laughs> uh, where everyone has been cooped up and cooped up in uh homes with no electricity or heat so um we're all good now it's actually jumped up to the 70s and 80s so the weather's kind of crazy but we're all good well, you guys had a tough and also during the past year, it has become more important than ever to take care of people around us. We would like to know, what are the three to five things that you care most about in your life and in your career? Um, well, family would be the most important thing to me. Um, our health, which has become uh, it's always been important, but I guess it's just become to the surface more in the last year with COVID-19. Um, feeling like I'm part of a community is important to me uh, in order to feel fulfilled. And I would say that um, professionally, they're about the same. Um, you know, I need to feel challenged and fulfilled and it's important to me that the people that I work with are important to me. So I've been really lucky in my career to work with great people and get to work on work yeah. that moves the needle. And so, um, you know, I certainly seek out uh, that type of work to feel fulfilled. So I think that would be the top things for me. And when it comes to the people uh, who you're closest with today, Kevin being one of them, what would you say is in your connection with one another in your friendships that you value the most? Um, well, I would say um, honesty is important no matter what. So there's a level of transparency that comes with honesty, <laughs> which is... Um, important to me because I'm sort of a straight shooter. <laughs> Sometimes I have to remember <laughs> who I'm talking to um, and, and maybe uh, soften that a little. Um, I think loyalty is really important to me. Um, and I think a part of loyalty 
that's important is reliability and dependability. So I think more than ever, you know, you always re rely and depend on your family, but I think the distinction between people that you can rely on and depend on professionally um, draws a different relationship um, outside of even colleague to colleague, but more person to person. And that, in my opinion, drives better work um, because you can trust one another. <laughs> <laughs> well, connections are important between humans. However, we are also connected with brands from the day we are born. Uh, what is your earliest emotional connection from childhood with a brand or a product that still has some sufficient meaning or strong emotional effect on you when you come in contact with it still today? And we want to know what did it make you feel in the past and what does it make you feel today when you come in contact with it? One of my earliest memories. I'm trying to go back to Montessori. Um... Well, I'll just lead with the one that comes to mind first, <laughs> which is um, Crayola. So um, I, like my daughter, who's four, um, have always been an avid artist, maybe more accurately drawer. <laughs> and um, I remember the smell of crayons and I remember my... Um, what I would call my space. Whenever I got to sit down with my crayons, I felt um, insulated in a space. And now I feel like that was creativity, <laughs> that I was actually feeling uh, the freedom and the space to just create. And to this day, I still sit down with my daughter and I color and I've been, um, I think it's opened up new areas for me of my mind that I haven't maybe tapped into a while because um, sitting down at a table and coloring is not necessarily something I was doing before I <laughs> had a four-year-old. And so that would probably be the brand that I first remember and that I still have a relationship with, I guess, today. Because you've bought it for, for your daughter, right? So yeah. when, when you go out in the shops and buy it, that's the one you choose. I'm precious about that brand. Yes. So then I would like to know if you analyze their brand strategy back then when you were young, with the knowledge you have today, what would you then say that they did right, as it still has a strong emotional impact and memory in mind that you're choosing them again well i've never actually spent time studying the case of crayola but i would imagine something to do with being first because they were the name uh that you associated with crayons uh and so i don't ever remember a competitor uh in the space i think they must have done something really right through advertising um to all the housewives uh of america to buy that brand. Um, and they were also pretty well prevalent in every school that I attended. So some of it was that there was almost the assumption that there was no other good choice and that, um, you know, the other ones were too waxy. You know, I, I remember being in other uh, like camps where they had used cheap crayons <laughs> and- No, they broke. They just didn't color the same. Yeah, <laughs> they, they 
broke. They didn't have all of the hues that Crayola had, but um, yeah, I mean, I think they must have done something right because my mom had five children and Crayola is not the cheapest brand. <laughs> she must have gone through crayons pretty frequently, but it's the brand that she always bought. So. And is the quality still the same today, would you say? Oh, I would say for sure. I mean, I'm yeah. sure that there are competitors that are now at parity with the regular crayon, but they've evolved. They have gel crayons. I mean, you can't believe the number of crayons that they have. And I pay a premium for these crayons because my daughter loves art and she likes the depth and richness of color. So I'm going to gonna buy her Crayola. <laughs> so in all this time, that's something I didn't know about you, but it most certainly explains your famous um, markups and hieroglyphics to things that you send back to me and others sometimes. Deciphering is quite- My color-coded notes. Your color-coded handwritten notes on things that you, you like, you like to um, comment on makes yep. a lot of sense to me right now. So I, I, have, a, I have another, uh, of course, brand related question for you. We've, we've known each other for quite some time. And, but what I'd like, to, I'd like to understand from you, and I have some ideas, but I wanna hear from you is how would you describe yourself, but doing so by naming four or five brands, just the brand to describe you as a person? So these are not necessarily brands that I love and use, but these are brands that just, they, they're going to paint a picture of who you are. Um, Crayola. Yep. Um, Porsche. Mm hmm. <laughs> Knew that was coming. Adidas. The Marines. And uh, uh, Calavita. Tell me, about, tell me about that brand. <laughs> it's an olive oil brand. <laughs> olive oil. Oh, got it. Well, you were talking about the Stanley Tucci food thing, and um, and well, do, do you want me to explain? Yeah, no, I I I, I want this to be analyzed a little bit. So, Calavita. Um, I was trying to find something that spoke to the fact that family is center for me, and as an Italian, family around food <laughs> is it's just a way of life for me and I would really enjoy cooking and olive oil is the basis for a lot of Italian cooking and the role that I play in my family since my father passed is sort of the glue for my family which is a big family um and olive oil is the thing that's in everything so maybe that's Calavita um Porsche. <laughs> so uh, there is no substitute. Um, <laughs> I, would, uh, I would gander most people that know me would say something of the sort uh, that, you know, I am who I am. And uh, I'm sure everybody is unique in their own way. But the other thing that draws um, meaning from that brand is just the strive and pursuit of excellence. And I am very ambitious in everything that I do from mothering to my career, uh, to crafting and, um, and uh, the, my vehicle is no, no exception. So I do drive a Porsche. Um, 
the Marines. So this one was the easiest one for me, although I'm sure it's going to go a million directions when people hear that. <laughs> so um, their saying is Semper Fidelis, and that means always faithful. And that has always been important to me. And in fact, a huge um, characteristic by which I judge a lot of things, including relationships. So um, I feel like I'm reliable uh, and that uh, you can keep faith that I'll be there. And so that makes sense to me. I'm also a huge patriot. And so that makes a lot of sense for me. What else did I say? Uh, Adidas. So um, I am not an athlete. <laughs> so let's just start there, uh, which is why I asked whether or not uh, these were brands that I lived in. I do, you, you know, buy these uh, products, but really it's the slogan around um, impossible is nothing that has always struck a chord for me. And um, I think that speaks to my personality that I really um, don't like to give up. And um, some would say that I'm good at uh, connecting dots. Um, I would say that I do that in order to find a way around something that somebody has told me I cannot do. <laughs> so, yes. um, so that's, I like that's the greatest challenge. Like their um, their slogan. Yeah, so, uh, it's incredible how all of these brands. It's such a great, such a great list, and such paints such a picture. But what I'm starting to notice is how you're um, aligning with the values of these brands and, and what they say their promises to people and how well they're delivering on that promise. Have you um, had a brand experience recently that has been incredibly frustrating to you? Something where people, they, they, you just felt either uh, mistreated or, or talk about that. You don't have to name the brand, but what, oh, but, uh, what was so brand. bad about it? Um, it's not in recent history. Yeah, it has been indelible. <laughs> I will never fly Continental um, Airlines because United. I have, huh? Now United. Now United. Sorry. Yeah. Um, if I can avoid it, because I had an awful experience um, that they really took no accountability for, and you know, I think that's a thing about especially brands that you're really putting a lot of trust in. They're a transportation brand. Um, so there's all the feelings of safety and, and comfort and assurance that I needed. And along the road, they ran out of gas. We had a ground in New Orleans. Um, we were on the tarmac for two hours. The air went out. They questioned a gentleman who was Middle Eastern descent next to me for no other reason than where he was from. And it created a lot of, it was after 9-11. It was right after 9-11. All this just like dissent and fear within the plane. And he was sitting right next to me. And I remember trying to draw pictures to communicate with him to basically assure him that he was okay, that they were just not handling it right. And then um, finally we got to the second hub, which was not my final destination. <laughs> and I realized that I had left a really important set of documents. I was in New York for, a, I was on the a, like inaugural 9-11 safety uh, committee for mm -hmm. telecommunications and all of my tariff and 
and documents were in a binder that we had aligned on and I was sort of the secretary (laughs) and I left them on the plane because of this whole situation with this passenger and it shouldn't have been a hard thing right Mm -hmm. it was on the plane but the gentleman at customer service was just in his defense I'm sure he's having a bad day but he represented that brand and he was awful to all of us and um, so bad that several managers came down because there were so many complaints and they still didn't, you know, try to remove any of the friction. None of us were asked, we knew we couldn't get home, but it was just in the way that he handled this and the way that their management team handled this, that um, I never wanted to fly. Now they did find the binder, thankfully, and they did ship it to me three weeks later, but um, which was not great for business, but for security, it was good that we found it. Um, yeah. But that is an experience because it ticked on everything. I felt fearful that they ran out of gas. I felt like they were not inclusive because they basically, you know, uh, made this man feel like excluded and really um, scared uh, because there was a language barrier. And then I made a mistake and I was looking for some customer service and help with that binder and. You know, at the time they were like tough patooties. And then when I finally got home, um, there was no, you know, acknowledgement that it's a bad experience and that they were, they understood that, you know, because things happen, you know, we all get that. I think it's how you respond when bad things happen that's important. So that was obviously left a mark. Yeah. Um, Wow. That's important. That's a really... um unfortunately bad memorable experience and and clearly it's left some some sting for you are there on the flip side of that are are there any experiences you could think of recently that have been incredible where a brand has gone out of its way to really um, earn your loyalty and your trust the brand that i live with the most um is is amazon um and um but the i would say maybe the experience as the the counterpoint to continental has always been four seasons which is i can always trust and know that when i go into the force i could show up at the four seasons with no bag you know what i mean and and not even my wallet and they could find out who i was from past days they could make sure everything was okay i would know that my bed would be comfortable there's just a and i realize that's a high-end uh luxury brand but that's something that um, I've always, I will always be their customer because um, I've had some experiences that they turned around for me. Um, but Amazon, I think, has <laughs> ingrained itself into my life. And I know a lot of people today uh, may, like my husband, for one, you know, doesn't like the idea of uh, anticipating needs and recommending things. But coming from tech, I know that that's everyone's goal (laughs) with data and information. But um, I started with books, which really it was just uh, a new take on books, which was pretty groundbreaking for me with the the Kindle. And then I associated it with fun things like vacations where I had the freedom to read all the time. And then Prime came and it just blew my mind um, because I was a busy you know, professional, and then I had children, and it just made everything easy at my fingertips, and I think that, you know, with COVID, they've honed 
their ability, right, to deliver more than anyone. Um, and they've also, I think, really made a smart move in how easy they, they make it to return anything, you know, basically that you can, they make it so easy to just click and buy. So my spending has increased considerably, but they don't make it prohibitive yeah. <laughs> to return yeah. it if you realize that maybe you were just up late and we're buying a lot of things, but, <laughs> and now I have all of their devices. So I have trusted them enough to, they, I have their blink cameras. I have their ring security system. I um, have their music mm -hmm. app and I use them for probably 90% of my TV. Wow. So it sounds to me, Michelle, like, Amazon and even the Four Seasons is, uh, I don't know, creating limbic sparks. <laughs> yeah. Emotional well, motivation uh, is meeting brand desire. Yeah. Well, I think that the, um, what Amazon has done that other brands that I've been in relationships with um, is they have reassured me in a time of uncertainty like no other brand could. So COVID yeah. really narrowed the brands that I interact with day to day. That's a huge thing making themselves indispensable and accommodating and serving the needs that you currently have yeah. is why some brands stay constant and some come and go depending upon what's going on in the world. So I'll never forget, um, uh, I have to say it, I'll never forget the first time uh, I heard you use the term limbic sparks because we were working together. You, were, you hired me um, in your role at the AT&T Performing Arts Center to be my first Limbic Brand Evolution client, fresh out of the gate. And in one of our first strategy reviews, you said to me, I'm not feeling the Limbic Sparks. And all I did was smile because you were the first person to use my trademark in a sentence. <laughs> it was amazing. Yep. So yep. you started that role about two years ago. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, you know, in your role as VP of Marketing at the AT&T Performing Arts Center, what are your responsibilities in that role? Well, ultimately, I'm responsible for um, the brand, but um, specifically driving earned revenue. So um, we are a nonprofit, and um, we do a tremendous amount in the community for artists and for art uh, in the performing arts specifically. But we also put on shows. Um, and so that includes Broadway and now it includes comedy and, uh, concerts and dance and, um, and so it's my job to make the world aware that we are putting those shows on and welcome them into our audience. And you were, you've been there for about two years, but you, prior to that, were at AT&T Corporation, the, the giant telecom, for over 10 years in a variety of brand and marketing roles. So what inspired you to make the switch to this nonprofit? I'd say it was a couple things. One, um, I had already sort of made a change. I, I welcomed a baby, and I had a lot of life changes. Um, and I was looking, I was chasing uh an altruistic proposition from a from a professional perspective. And I had really had a great run and opportunity with at AT&T when I led brand um, and it can wait. And it was like I got bit by a bug 
And uh, when I moved over to the B2B space, it was also fulfilling. It was ambitious. And, you know, we did a lot to reshape that brand and go to market for B2B customers. But I really yearned for the feeling at the end of the day that I made a difference. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that like an, like a CSR campaign that it can wait did, which it, it basically helped people stop texting and driving and save lives. For the arts, which of which I am a huge appreciation of. I love the arts, um, especially the performing arts. Another thing you don't know is I was a big musical person. So I did musicals um, and even in college, I sang in a jazz band. So I very much um, spent a lot of time enjoying and feeling the arts. And so um, what was, what brought me specifically to this role is I actually worked on the deal <laughs> 10 years ago when I was at at t for the naming rights, when Kathy Coughlin, my mentor and GMO um, decided that we would, you know, lock arms with Arts in Dallas, our new home. And so there was some sense of um, nostalgia and loyalty to something that we started 10 years ago that I really wanted to make sure was set up for the next 30 years because 10 years is a young performing arts center. Um, in most cities, they're much, 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 much older. And um, so that was the second thing that drew me, altruism and sort of nostalgia. And then the third was the people. So um, Debbie Story, who is really well known um, as a wonderful people person, people manager, was the head of our, um, diversity, HR, she led everything uh, at at t at one time or another. And um, so I knew her personally and I uh, knew what she was trying to achieve and I felt like I could help them achieve that. So that's- In her that, new role as, as the CEO, as the CEO and president CEO. of the Art Center, yeah. Yeah, so she, um, she was on the board and like me felt a passion and a dedication to the arts and to the, uh, the next, you know, tranche of the Performing Arts Center. And uh, so she took on the role as the CEO temporarily and then permanently. And um, and so it just seemed like the right time. So, wow. um, and so, and I got to really be around something that I maybe didn't get to make time for as much when I was yeah. um, in tech all the time. Such a great combination of things that drew you to it. Uh, lifestyle, your values, the people you were going to surround yourself with, and the cause itself. It's really incredible. And I'm kind of curious, um, you know, you mentioned Kathy, who, who um, we've both had the great pleasure of, of getting to know and work with, and there are some other people um, in your life and career that have guided you and provided you inspiration, what are some of the values, not values, what are some of the, um, the learnings from mentors or past experiences that you brought to the Art Center that, that help you stay focused on creating brand desire? What did you bring with you? One of the reasons that Debbie and I, you know, got together was certainly, and talked about this role, was certainly to help broaden the audience and to basically open up um, the ability to drive more revenue. Um, but what I think I brought 
to uh, the discussion was focus uh, around the importance of brand and how that could be a tool to actually drive the business. And I, I do believe, you know, Esther Lee was a tremendous, tremendous influence for me. And um, she always uh, made sure that it, that the business strategy and the brand strategy were one and the same. And I think that that is a key insight that maybe a lot of brands, because I think a lot of brands are behind uh, in placing value and brand as a uh, driving force of relationship management and, and ultimately share of wallet. And even AT&T, you know, 10 years ago, um, you know, I think Kathy was probably ahead of most big organizations in deciding that she needed to really um, institute and focus this, focus on this. And she would say, I don't know that it's specific to brand, but something that I bring to everything is she would always say, you know, so what's the so what? <laughs> you know, we oh can, my goodness, I remember that. She was a born operator um, and um, she was, you know, great about surrounding herself with people that were not just like her. And I think that was what was great about bringing in someone like Esther and, um, and even me, I think I was brand employee number one. And, you know, I think for all the great um, insight you can garner from audience insights and metrics around, you know, widgets moved, at the end of the day, when she said, so what's the so what, what, what she really meant was, um, what's the impact, you know, and it's not uh the execution or the tactic, it is what is the impact. And so for me, what she really brought to, to me and has throughout my career is really leveling it up many levels to get to the highest order impact and then stick to it. And from all, all things should fall from that. And so I think between her approach to that and Esther's, um, you know, placing emphasis on the fact that the North Star should be a combination of business and brand is yeah. has been helpful in this role because one, it's new, it's a young brand. It, um, it needed some focus, um, some attention to what it was going, what role it was going to play in the city of Dallas, what role it was going to play for patrons, but it also helped um, direct some of the business strategies that were already underway and focus them. I can hear that you guys known each other for a long time and you have worked together. So now I am curious to know more about the brand evolution work that you did with Kevin and Limbic Brand Evolution. What are the brand challenges you're working to overcome? One was, I think some of them were very common to performing arts centers and, and less specific to us. But one was that there's was definitely a need to broaden our audience. So we had really strong loyalty in opera and in Broadway and in dance um, for those that, that really follow those things, right? Um, but one of our, but all, performing arts centers are challenged with bringing in the new generation of patrons. Uh, our audiences tend to skew a little older. And, um, and so there's this big challenge to pull in a diverse audience and, uh, and a younger audience, frankly. 
Uh, the other one was that we had some of our biggest assets were getting in the way because they weren't framed the right way. One being the brand name AT&T. There was a misconception of what actually the AT&T Performing Arts Center was. And so that was fairly easy to reframe, but not a problem that had been addressed. So a lot of people thought we were part of AT&T. In fact, they would bring bills uh, to our box office which meant we need to clarify that for people. Uh, and the our wonderful campus, so I don't know if you've seen it online, Jasmine, but if you're ever in Texas, you should come by. It is, you know, the architecture is iconic. It is um, sleek, it's beautiful. Um, the campus has really revitalized that part of downtown and has really been uh, the, the impetus for a very uh, vibrant arts community now. But because of, um, you know, its iconic facade, it felt a little inaccessible, um, which was a challenge in our goal to expand and broaden our audience. So um, some of, like I said, some of these things are really great assets for sure. I mean, it's the best place to watch Broadway, see opera, dance. I mean, the venue is second to none. I would argue nationally, you know, we're in the top. But for those who are not, you know, avid uh, performance attendees, then it felt a little, um, not for me, you know? And so uh, that was probably, those were the biggest challenges, um, which was a good problem to have because they were our biggest assets and we just needed to reframe them. And to be able to solve these challenges, then it's very important to, to speak to your audiences, right? So what audience insights did you guys uncover to inform how the brand evolved? Well, some of them were the ones we already knew, right? That um, for those that were not our existing patrons, they felt like the, the campus felt a little out of reach. Um, that perhaps because they were not familiar with dance, opera, or Broadway, that they felt like it wasn't for them. Um, but I would say that the most important things that we distilled out of the so there was the feedback and then there was the insight. And at the end of the day, the biggest insight was that uh, people, it was how they felt. So this is why it was really important to do this emotional work with Kevin, because it before we even started our project together, it, when I tried to distill what it was that was what drove me back to the performing arts center to do this work, right? I said it was nostalgia. It was this feeling of um, love for the arts. It was really the same. So if you were to distill, you know, everything that we heard at the end of it, you really noticed that what was the most important was the memory they walked away with, right? And so that was about the whole experience, the art, the surrounding, the way that the people you know, at the center made them feel, but importantly, who they saw it with, who was sitting next to them, because that's what actually colored sort of their memory. And that's what makes people want to come back because, and I go back to this idea of, and I've, I've come to this conclusion over time that I really do think 
that brands that create belonging are the ones that um, are have the strongest relationship that lasts throughout things. And so that was what, you know, the insight that was, that drove everything, uh, in my opinion, was that people were not just in the audience, you know, there was not the art in the audience, there was a participation and that's the distinction between performing arts from visual arts. And so they, you hear a lot about the fourth wall, but that's actually where it all started for me. And the, the light went off when, um, really what, what makes us different in the Performing Arts Center is that you're having a relationship with the artist on the stage. You're laughing, you're crying, you're actually in this emotional relationship for this moment. But then when you leave, it left you with a feeling and a memory of how you felt and who you were with. And so that's what we needed to focus on. And we needed more people to come feel it. And so, you know, certainly we needed to get them in the door <laughs> to have this experience. And so um, I don't know if I'm cutting to it, but this is where the idea of an invitation, you can jump to the tagline, but that, that is, I think, those are the things that- What's the tagline? Yours to discover. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to make sure that people understood that it was accessible for them and that they would discover because everyone really does discover something about themselves when they experience live performing arts. A lot of, I mean, because performance is emotive. Incredible looking into um, the people who were familiar with the art center and hearing what they were most struck by or what mattered most to them in that experience. And it was so cool when we heard things like, they made me feel welcome and special. Um, I never knew that I could come into a place like this. Um, it, it was better than anything I could have imagined once I walked through the door. Those types of things were really inspirational to where we netted out. Yours to Discover was a really great filter for all things that we did from a marketing perspective. And then, we, like I said, we'd already been working on programming, um, but it for comedy and music and all these other genres of performance. But um, the invitation was really key. So anything that we do was about be inviting and make sure that the discovery is not just about us, right? It's about them. Why do you think some brands are still neglecting the power of emotional insights and bringing Limbic Sparks type thinking into their brand strategy? Well, once Limbic Sparks is more uh, well known, I actually don't think that people will challenge the concept of a Limbic Spark because, you know, brand desire and um, an emotion, they are basically two drivers, they're just drivers on either side, right, of the relationship. And so people are already um there i think that the word emotion <laughs> is a barrier uh because a lot of marketers which who have been trained especially advertisers um that the word emotion is not that is not about um it's really emotive 
I guess is the right word for me, people think of emotion as in the emotion. So um, rather than focusing on this inherent um, driver, I think a lot of marketers hear emotional motivation and they think sappy or um, a specific emotion. Right, yeah. um, instead of um, the concept that we are emotional beings, right, at our most basic thing, that's what we are. That's what makes us human. We want to connect our emotion, you know, in some way to another person, to an experience, to a brand, you know. And I think that that's probably the challenge that maybe people just aren't educated. As a brand leader, what is it that you know now that you wish you knew years ago and, and that you would, you would suggest or, or share with other brand leaders about creating brand desire? Having the discipline to ensure that your brand and business strategy are really in lockstep and that it's not a superficial engagement. Yep. <laughs> really important. The other thing is focus is the primary lesson, but you really can't be all things um, to everyone. The brands that are most beloved, it's very clear and enduring what, when you define what role you're going to play and you're consistent in that role. You know, the other thing I would say is not to be too precious about brand. Yes, the role should be important. How you execute it, your articulation, the words that you use, they're all important, but they're not so precious. <laughs> so I think for years early in my career, super um, precious about specific brand elements and design. And while they're all important and they aggregate up to something that is consistent and meaningful, it's not always the most important thing. You know, the most important thing is the relationship. And as long as you've got that consistent and you're meeting expectations, then there's forgiveness and other things for brands. That's, uh, I think, an incredible last point to make. And I want to thank you, Michelle, so much for joining Jasmine and I on Let's Talk Limbic Sparks. Thanks. Glad to be here. Thank you, thank you for being here. For more, go to limbicsparks.com.